0: man oh man there's a bunch of people here this morning yeah you, you look at thanksgiving and you look at christmas and the sunday that follows and you always wonder i wonder if anybody will be there or not and um you're here and that's a great thing we'll see how you do on december the 26th this year because we will be meeting the day after christmas as well um i do everybody have a good thanksgiving by the way yeah. so was there a little bit of craziness and a lot of food and all that kind of mingled in together. So how many people ate ham on Thanksgiving? How many people ate turkey on Thanksgiving? How many people ate both on Thanksgiving? All right there you go. I remember years and years and years ago, the Hubbards will remember the story I had. I didn't, don't teach Camp Redstone very often but we were in Johnson City and I was helping Cammie and we were with Camp Redstone and um, I guess it was Paisley and Skyla that were in the class and I was like who all had ham? And who all had turkey and everybody raised their hand except for those two. And I was like, girls, what would y'all have? And I was like, we had rattlesnake. I'm like, of course you did. Now that's only funny if you know Joshua Hubbard. <laughs> rattlesnake. Anybody have rattlesnake this morning? I mean, this, this Thanksgiving? No. Okay. Hey, we're in Ephesians. As you know, we've got a couple of new people that are, that are new to uh, Redstone. So we're glad that you are here uh, moving into the area. or traveling with uh, family and friends. Um, But we're deep. We're deep in Ephesians right now and we're getting ready to finish it up. And this was supposed to be our last Sunday in Ephesians. And we hit the brakes and we said, absolutely not. We must slow down and we must continue well. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to be in Ephesians for two more weeks, um, but we want to jump in right now. And there's been a lot that's happened in the past 72 hours in people's lives. Some of us are, are tired and some of us are full and some of us are still dealing with you know some craziness that some kind times comes when you get all of the family converging upon one den, you know, for a day or two. So let's just pray that God would remove that from us and that we would focus in and, and hear what He has for us this morning. Because I actually think He's got a good word for us this morning. And I'm really excited about it. Let's pray together. Father, here we are, your children, we all have lives that we live but they are all because of your grace. We don't have the ability to breathe another breath apart from your grace, oh God. And I pray that we would see that, understand that, that we would learn to comprehend that moment by moment, that we don't live for ourselves, but we live because of you and we live for you. And Lord, in this world, we will have trouble. Jesus, you have told us that. It's a guarantee, it's a promise. But you said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We need to be reminded, oh God, that you have overcome the world. We w- want to be and we need to be reminded of how we can fight this fight against our nemesis, the enemy. Lord, there's a, one verse that we're going to look at this morning. And it, it's powerful. And I pray that the word of God would remain and that my words that just are conjured up, that are not from you, that they would fall quickly to the ground and that we would walk out of here this morning changed and encouraged uh, and emboldened to speak the word of God. Lord, we love you and we need you in Christ. name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open it up. Ephesians chapter 6. It's going to be up on the screen. It's also in your worship guide if you want to mark it up a little bit. So let me do a quick recap. There's no way you can recap all of Ephesians 6 in one minute, but I'm going to hit the the highlights. So we've talked about how our real struggle in this world is not with blank and blank. Flesh and blood. It's not really with people. You think it's with your neighbor or with your boss or with your brother-in-law or whatever. It's really not. The the enemy is the real um, one that we fight. Okay, we've uh, talked about how we are to put on the armor of God, right? I I throw that last part in there because it's it's an understanding that it's not just an armor, but it's an armor that comes from God. That's the only way we can fight this enemy. And we were told that we are to take up the whole armor and not just parts of the armor so that we can stand against the schemes was the word that was used of the devil. He's a schemer. He's a conniver he will trick us. He will lure us. Um, And the whole armor of God enables us to fight and stand against him. Okay, so here's the parts of the arsenal that we've discussed so far. We put on the belt of truth. Okay, we, we, we understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that the gospel is truth, and that we have been redeemed. So we'll come back to that in a moment. And then we took up the Breastplate of righteousness. We understand this is a a Christianized word, but I like it. It means that the righteousness of perfect and holy Jesus was imputed to us or it clothes us so that our standing before God is no longer based upon our righteousness, which the word of God calls filthy rags, but it is now based upon Jesus's righteousness. We talked about last week how our feet were fitted with and it was an R word, readiness. Not the gospel of peace, but the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the peace that that we have with God, that we have with one another, and then we have with ourselves because we don't have to walk around feeling guilty anymore for our, our past sins. And we said that we are to take up the big thing, shield of faith, which will quench a bunch of the arrows of the enemy or... All of the arrows of the enemy. So that's where we've gotten thus far. Tomorrow, uh, not tomorrow, but today we're going to talk about uh, two more pieces. And then next Sunday, we're going to hit our last piece of the arsenal. Okay, so let's look at Ephesians 6, 17. We will only look at one verse today. I wanted to do more and it just couldn't happen. You would have been here way too long. So one verse today. Are you ready? This is the word of God, people and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god that's it that's where we're going we're looking at the helmet of salvation and we're looking at the sword of the spirit so let's start with our first one take up the helmet of salvation if you want to play football go Cyclones, go Bulldogs. They both made it to the state championship right here in Elizabeth and that's a big deal. But if you're going to play football, they're not going to let you walk out there onto the football field unless you have a helmet. In Tennessee, you're not going to get on your motorcycle unless you're wearing a helmet. Now, if you go to South Carolina, I mean that's a different story, but you still should be wearing your helmet. If you step into a construction zone, you got to be wearing a helmet or you should or you could get injured if you're going to go to war you need to have some type of a headgear before you step out onto the battlefield likewise in regards to the helmet of salvation if we're going to fight a spiritual battle we have to have the proper headgear and it's the helmet of salvation so we're going to start there and there may be more but i am going to propose that there are two primary purposes for this helmet of salvation One is for adornment which I will explain and then the second one is for protection. I don't think I have that maybe that's in your notes somewhere there's two fill in the blanks I believe and that may be one of those I don't remember but the first one is adornment so let me explain that one. The way this sentence is actually constructed a more accurate reading might be the helmet which is salvation. This is the helmet of salvation or the helmet which is salvation. There's not a big difference between those two, but this helmet um, is salvation. So we have to understand that what we're putting on, this hat, this headpiece, this this gear of the the, arsenal of God and his, his, his armor that he's given to us is none other than salvation itself. It reveals who we are or better, it reveals who we belong to. Okay, so here's a question for each of us. Simple question Would those who know you well, this is your neighbors, your friends, your co workers, and your, your family members, would they say, Oh, absolutely, blank, that's your name, is a Christian? Would they say that? In other words, Are you easily identifiable as a Jesus follower? Becca says, yes. Good, Becca. If people came to our neighbor's co-workers, friends, and asked, what can you tell me about Jerry? Um, Apart from he's tall, bald, and incredibly good looking, what else might they say? Um, Would they say things like, he's very religious, you know, or he's really serious about his faith or he's definitely a Christian, I hope so. I hope that they would say something and I hope that they would do the same about you because it's the, this helmet of salvation that people can see from afar. Soldiers were quickly identified by their headgear. You could see what nation they belonged to based upon the headgear that they were wearing. It was for protection, but it was for adornment also. And if we're truly wearing this helmet of salvation, it should never come as a surprise to people that we are Jesus followers. If someone were talking about Jerry Williams and the response from them was, really? Jerry's a Christian. I would have never known that. That would be a bad response. Now take my name out and insert yours. If the people around you that know you, that watch you, if they look at you and say, really? She's a Christian? Golly, I wouldn't have known that. I would have never known that. That is inconsistent with Jesus' fellowship. It's inconsistent with Christianity because as believers, the word of God says that we produce fruits that are keeping with this repentance, with this salvation that we believed. We no longer are conformed to the patterns of this world, but we're transformed by the gospel. We don't live for the temporal. We now live for the eternal. And if we do those things, not just say them on a Sunday morning or when we're in a community group, but if we really live them out every day and in every relationship that we're in, people will see this salvation that adorns us. Paul said it this way. This is what he says in Philippians 1. He says, to me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. He's saying Jesus is my everything. My life is lived for Him and by His strength. Or Romans 1:16 says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile." I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to put on my helmet of salvation. I'm not ashamed to let people know who's that I am or who I live for and what my purpose for living is. That should never come as a surprise. Here's a little bit of a side note, but let me ask you another somewhat related question. How often do you actually use the name Jesus when you talk with other people? Not Lord, not God, not church, not christian or christianity but actually speaking the name jesus again this is this is a sidebar i'm not saying this is necessarily what this passage is telling us but there's this wisdom application that i learned about five or six years ago if i really wanted my boldness to increase as a jesus follower and if i really wanted people to know where i stood don't be afraid to speak the name of jesus for example i would say things like you know what to be honest with you jesus is everything to me or i don't know where i would be in this world if it weren't for king jesus and the way that he has directed me and you know because you've heard me say this before i rarely use the word christian anymore because when people hear lord god church and christian that means it's a nebulous term to so many people they don't really know what that means but when i say i'm a jesus follower it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear they understand. They, you know, people will say, well, I go to church. You know, I, I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm this or that or the other. But when you, when you use your, your mouth to speak the name of Jesus, I don't know, there's just a boldness that's there in doing so. And I encourage you to try that. So the, the first thing, the first reason for doing that, I think, is because it increases your boldness. Just saying the name Jesus will become easier for you as you find a way to live in this world where you are the one that is swimming upstream. It'll, it'll increase your boldness. The more often that you do it, the easier it will become. And secondly, it's an easy way to clearly communicate exactly who we are and what we stand for in a culture that we live in today where terms are really confusing. A boy doesn't necessarily mean a boy and a girl doesn't necessarily mean a girl. God means so many things to so many different people, but Jesus fellowship means one thing only. You know, saying things like, yes, I'm a Christian Or I'm actually what I would call a Jesus follower. It's like, okay, I know where you stand now. Jesus has been faithful to me all along the way. I'm just praying and asking for King Jesus to guide me. Friend, I want you to know that Jesus really does love you. And he gave himself for us. I mean, those are really clear terms. They embolden you, but they also make your message clear in a culture where things are not clear. These are just examples. I encourage you to try it or to talk about Jesus' fellowship in place of Christianity this week. And what you're doing is, or what we're doing is we're declaring, I am Jesus's, I belong to Jesus, I follow Jesus. And going back to our headgear, I see that that is the first primary purpose is for adornment, but the second purpose is going to be for protection, obviously, of course, because it's a part of the protective armor, and as I've prayed about and and researched this passage and this subject this year, I am increasingly um, convinced that the greatest battleground that each of us face in our fellowship is in the area between our two ears i know i'm going in and out so if i need to change mics let me know and it's that of our minds i mean think about it where does the war rage when temptation comes our way where is that where do you have that battle it's in our minds where does guilt and reminders of our past come from that want to drag us down and have us put our heads down, and walk around in shame. It's in our minds. Where is it that we rehearse our words so that we can impress others in our attempts to please man instead of to please God? We're going around a circle, and um, you know, Johnny, it's going to be your turn to pray in probably a minute and a half. What are you going to say? We begin to rehearse these things before they get to us. It's just this weird Dynamic that we really love pleasing other people sometimes more than we please God or we want to please God. But all of the, these things happen in our minds it's guilt, shame, slander, jealousy, sexual temptation, coveting, and almost every other sin that we can imagine, they take place in our minds. Listen to this passage. I didn't put it up on the screen, but it's a good one if you want to make a note of it. Listen to James 1. 14 through 15. Are you listening? Okay, hear this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So think about that passage. Where does the initial, it says being lured, where's this this luring. Where does that take place? It's in our minds. And when we are enticed by our own desire, where does that enticement take place? It's taking place in our minds. It lingers in our minds. And we think about it over and over. And then ultimately, because we don't fight against it, we allow our minds to cave into this thought. And we know the result when that happens. It's a true battlefield for all of us thus the need for our heads to be protected not only to let people know I'm going to wear this helmet of salvation and I'm going to wear it with confidence and with boldness because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ but the truth of the matter is apart from King Jesus and his strength I'm a mess. We're all a mess. We're broken. We're fallen. And our righteousness really is as filthy rags. And if I allow my mind to have its way, it will succumb to these temptations or these thoughts that are ungodly and unholy. So what are we to do? Well, we put on the helmet of salvation. A couple of passages that I wrote down, and there are more, but you might want to look at these. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace, controlled. When our minds are controlled by the Spirit of God, it brings life and peace. I love that. I quote it often when I'm struggling. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Renewing our minds is actually something, church, that we're doing right now. We're coming in here on a Sunday morning and we're We're not just listening to stories. We're going to the word of God to see what the word of God says and seeing what salvation truly is. And in doing so, we're renewing our minds to the truth of the gospel. This is a great one. Isaiah 26, 3. This one was probably memorized 30 years ago. You will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Brother Lawrence, whom nobody really knows, wrote this book called Practicing the Presence of God. And the premise of the book is that you recognize that this omnipresent Jesus, that he's with us all the time. So we don't just kind of knock on the door and say, hey, you can come you know, before my presence now. That sounded weird. But Jesus, because I want to pray over my meal. We're going to pray in the morning. We're going to pray at night. The truth of the matter is he's with you when you're driving in your car. He's with you when you're in this dialogue with someone else. He's always there. And when we recognize that, when our minds are stayed on him, it helps us to walk in peace and with this, this control of our minds. First Peter 1, 3, preparing, we'll, and we'll come back to this one in, in a moment, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, sober-minded. Being careful about the quantity or quality of what's going into your minds. Being willing to recognize, nope, been thinking about that thing a little bit, you know, too much. Jesus helped me to discard that. Helped me to think things are good and holy and righteous and true and beautiful. So, and as we bring this part of the armor, the helmet of salvation to a conclusion, I want to go back to this First Peter passage and look at the, oops, it's not on there. There you go. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Truth number one, and you have this in your worship guide if you want to make notes, says the first reason for the helmet of salvation, as I've said, is for adornment. That the world, or that we would boldly declare to the world that we are his. And the second reason is for protection of our minds, the primary place that the battle takes place. And by fighting for the control of our thoughts and our mind, we're reminding our minds and our hearts of the truths of the gospel. By adorning our heads with salvation, we're reminding ourselves and others that we belong to him. And none of these things can or will happen unless we go to the word of God for these truths. None of these gospel declarations can be known or understood unless we go to the word of God for them. And that takes us to the second part of verse number 17. The sword. Look at it with me. Back to 617. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I'll botch the pronunciation, but the word that's used here for sword, my refers to, it's a short sword. It's not a long one. This is a very, you know, somewhat short, shorter sword. And it's often referred to as a dagger or a very large knife. Maybe where we get the word machete, machete, I'm not sure. But why is that important? because it was used when the enemy was very, very close, crossing the lines of personal space, close enough to truly inflict damage upon us or harm upon us. It is there that the sword of the Spirit can really be applied. The word that's used in this particular passage for word is actually rhema. There's two. There's logos and then there's rhema. This one has actually They both mean word, except this one more often than not refers to the spoken or the proclaimed word, whereas the logos is normally the written word. So there's a there's a proclamation that's being seen and understood when this word is used, tying it back to our sword. So we'll go back to logos in a moment um, and see how that can be used. But this proclaimed word being used as a dagger So should the enemy get close enough to us? This is the one thing that the enemy hates more than anything else is when we pull out the word of God. This will cause our enemy to retreat quicker than anything else. Word of God says it's a double-edged sword and it cuts deep. The Rama of the spirit of God or the proclaimed word of not only who Jesus is, but what he has done. Do you understand that? It's the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, and both of these relate back to the gospel. It's nothing less than the gospel itself. It's the proclaimed message of who he is and what he has done. In Revelation 12 and I referred to this last week remember when the enemy was near his end of his time he comes against the church with just a fury and it says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb by the word of their testimony and they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death well what are they saying there what's it saying how did they overcome the enemy by the, the, the words of their mouth what is this it's the testimony it's the proclamation that they belong to someone else you see that? It's the with the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. The blood of the lamb. Well, what's that? It's the blood of the perfect lamb of, of Jesus that gave himself for us. And my testimony is the fact that I now belong to him and I am clothed with his righteousness. I'm reminding myself of that. And even they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That's a gospel application as well because we recognize for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, I live for all eternity because Jesus, what Jesus has done. So I'm proclaiming to the enemy salvation is true and you know it and i know it. and there's nothing you can do other than kill me and i said it last week and i'll say it again and even there jesus is victorious and you are defeated that's the truth that's the helmet of salvation and that's the rhema this proclamation of the word of god second peter 1:20 says that men spoke from god as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And from Genesis to Revelation, and we looked at this when we saw the feast this summer, everything that we see from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation is pointing to this gospel message. It's all about holy, holy God, loving sinful, sinful man, and having a plan to come after him and to rescue him by the blood of his only son to raise him from the dead, that those who would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's this message that we see and we declare this message both to ourselves and to the enemy. And that's this dagger of proclamation that the enemy absolutely hates. Let me remind you what Jesus has done. And then we quote scripture to do so. We're finishing up Ephesians, but this is everything that we talked about on the front end if you were here. Ephesians 1, uh, 1 through 3, we'll talk about this again in two weeks, but Ephesians 1 through 3 is nothing more than gospel declaration after gospel declaration, and I said it, it's this heavenly peripheral view of who we are in Christ and all that Jesus has done. We must know those things before we have the ability to fight the enemy because it's those truths that we give back to the enemy with the sword of the Spirit, with this dagger that is able to to fight him off. And this battle takes place in our minds, so our minds need to be reminded of Christ's sacrifice for us and the righteousness that, that comes our way through him. And then we quote scriptures such as Romans 6.23: the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Gospel. That's a gospel declaration. 2 Corinthians 5.21: He who had no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a gospel declaration. We commit these things to memory and then we quote them back to the enemy. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Gospel, that's a gospel declaration. First John 5, 4, and this is the victory that, we, that, he, that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one that believes that Jesus is the son of God? I believe gospel declaration after declaring these Rama word of god gospel dec- declaration truths then we also use the word of god the written word of god to speak these truths back to our own souls and our own minds but also to the enemy when we need to that's what jesus did i mean go look at it go look at matthew chapter four and the enemy has pulled him aside and he's trying to tempt him and the first thing jesus says is it is written and then he quotes scripture deuteronomy We don't have a lot of Deuteronomy memorized, I'm just saying. And then a little bit later in response to Satan's schemes, Jesus' response again is, again, it is written. And he quotes Logos. He quotes the written word of God back to the enemy. And then lastly, he ends his encounter with the enemy with, Be gone, Satan, for it is written. And then he quotes the word of God. The enemy himself also uses the word of God in this exchange for he understands the power that's in the word of God. It's just that he improperly uses it. And the one who is the word of God, the writer of the word of God, recognizes this pretty quickly and corrects and rebukes him by using the word of God, which is such a great reminder for me in our church that we must be under, be able to understand and discern what the Word of God really says. Otherwise, we will be taken um, down a, a, a path that's not consistent with what the true message of that Bible verse was. So when I found myself, in close proximity, going back probably five weeks ago, when I was talking about this moment where I had this real struggle with the enemy, and I was in Seabrook Island, and I've never faced a, a battle like that before, and it was dark, and it was, it, was, it was eerie, and it was scary, and I told you I slept with my lights on, you know, for two nights, and that was another sermon. You can go back and listen to it, but I remember in that moment not knowing what to do other than um, remember the truths of the Word of God. And these were some of the passages that I pulled and I would read them and I would quote them and I would read them out loud all throughout the night. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is James 4, 7 and 8. Psalm 91, 1 through 3. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence this is the logos the written word of god that we're taking and we're using it as a dagger a sharp dagger psalm 121 1 and 2 i lift up my eyes to the hills where does my help come from my help comes from the lord the maker of heaven and earth my god made everything and i lift my eyes up to him romans 8 this is 31 35 through 39 It's it's a long passage If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, hear me church, nothing, none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. These are logos truths related to the rhema truth which is that this God has given himself for us and loved us so much, and he did overcome sin, he did overcome the enemy, and he did overcome our sins as well. And if we would believe these truths, we are clothed with his righteousness, and he says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. You are mine for all eternity. But this battle, when it begins to take place in our minds, we forget that. We must remind ourselves, and we must not be conjuring up truths shooting from the hip. We have to go to the Word of God to find out what these truths truly are. Truth number two, this is in your worship guide. This is the sword of the Spirit, the message of Christ's gospel, and the written word declaring his love for us and power over the enemy. And we must, must, must reach for it when the battle comes. It is a critical piece of this whole armor of God that enables us to stand and to withstand anything he comes against us with. And last week I said that if you're not wearing your shoes or if your feet you know, are not properly covered, if your feet are shot, then you're toast, right? Same thing here. If you're doing everything else well, but you're not wielding your sword, you don't have your sword with you, you're toast. You're toast. We have to have our sword because it's the sword which is the proclamation of the gospel that we give back to the enemy. John 17, 17. You've heard me quote this often. This is Jesus's high priestly prayer before he gives himself up on the cross. And he's praying for us, not just those current believers, but he's praying for future believers. And one of the things that he's praying is just for our protection over the enemy. And he says, sanctify them to the father. He says, sanctify them by your truth. And then he says, your word is truth. Sanctify, set them apart, make them holy by your truth. Your word, O God is truth that is the sword that they are going to need to be able to fight off this enemy. I'm in going back to this Ephesians uh, six passage. I'm going to bring this um, verse 17, and the topic of the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit to a close. Um, But as I do so, I want us to look at the passage one more time because there's these two little words that we can't just quickly read through and not pay attention to. Okay, look at it again. And your Bibles are in your worship guides, guides. And it says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word. And here it is, these last two words, the word of God. It's not just the word, it's the word of God. Sometimes we talk of the Bible or the word as though it's important, and it is, but it's more than just important. It's more than just a bunch of letters that were written. It's more than a religious book that God has given to us. This church and true Orthodox Christianity teaches and will always teach. It's a strong conviction of ours. We will not, this is a hill we will die on. We will teach that the word of God came to us from Genesis to Revelation by God. It is of God himself we got to let that sink in we say that just too quickly it's like when we read things like in the beginning god and then we we move beyond that quickly Um, jesus was born of a virgin and then we continue to listen to the rest of the story so jesus arose from the dead and then we continue we don't take the time to be still and know that he is god and let those passages sink in. And this understanding that this word, the sword of the spirit is the word of God is critical. Because if we don't believe that it's really of God, the only time that we will really pay close attention to it might be on a Sunday morning. If we really, church, believe that this is the word of God, and it has everything that we need for life and for godliness, we will open it. We will read it. We will fight to understand it. We will ask questions. We will be in what we call these community Bible reading plans, or we will have someone else that's discipling us that we're discipling, and we will do that, not just getting together for coffee, saying, hey, how you doing? How's your heart? But we'll look at, talk about the word of God will begin to understand it because this word is powerful. It is of God. I won't linger with the story, but I've told several of you when I was doing my student teaching and I was really sick and didn't know what was going on and I thought I was dying and I had walked as a pretty, I was a pretty good hypocrite. I mean, I did it well, you know, and for quite a long time and I got to this point where I came to the end of myself And I said, I don't know what's going to happen, but all I know is I can't continue to live the way that I'm living. And I was lying on a cold gym floor. It was actually back where they kept the basketballs at university school. And I cried out to God. And I said, oh God, if you're real, I gotta know it. And I'm gonna go home tonight and I'm gonna open up your word. Not because that's what we're supposed to do. Those of us that go to church and claim to be Jesus followers, which was not a term I used back then but I'm gonna open it up and read it because I am more desperate to know that you're real, that you know me and that you love me than I am for oxygen. It was a sincere prayer. And I went home that evening and I opened up the word of God. I I can't conjure up the words or an explanation to help you to understand how he revealed himself to me, but I haven't put it down since then. And I recognize pretty quickly, oh, he knows me. Oh, he loved me and loves me. And he's really pursuing me. And this word really is holy. This is the word of God. I love this passage. Commit it to memory if you haven't already. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This one is in your worship guide. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's of God. It's breathed out by God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word, hear it, of God. Breathed out by God. It's profitable to teach us, to, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It is the word of God in this gospel proclamation that must be central every time that we come together as a church because we believe that when we open it up and we read it and we do our very very best to teach it and to break it down that it's the holy word of God I was telling Sam I think it was this past week that I have this love-hate relationship with with teaching the word of God I, Sundays I always have these ridiculous body aches and I struggle on my sermon preparation day like you just can't even imagine it's like a war you know and I, I work on it throughout the week but there's one day in particular is my it's my least favorite day of the week because I hurt I physically hurt that day and I think it's because just this this awareness that what we're doing is we're taking the holy word of God and we're doing the very best that we can to break it down and make it understandable in our role as elders to equip the saints for the works of ministry to help them to understand this word of God. It's holy. It is the word of God that sanctifies us and sets us us apart and makes us different from other people. That enables us to with boldness grab that helmet of salvation and to put it on and to say I am his I am not ashamed of this gospel for I am a Jesus follower he has transformed my life he has changed me for to, for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain and this message of what he has done is the same message that I give back to the enemy when he comes against me because it is a part of the full armor of God that is useful in protecting us and fighting against the, quoting the word of God, the schemes of the enemy. I'm going to end today with where we're going to start next week with the truth that this is God's armor. It's singular. It's one armor. One armor, but it all fits together because it is literally, I believe, the armor of salvation. We're putting on salvation. We're putting on the armor of God, which is salvation, the proclamation of what he has done. We take up the belt of truth. Jesus is the way the truth and the life it is he who gave himself for us he really did come to earth and he really did die for us he really did love us and pursue us and when he died and when he rose again he paid the penalty for us that enables us to put on his breastplate of righteousness and now we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's gospel What do we do with that? We fit our feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We say, Jesus has come. I believe this truth. I'm clothed with his righteousness and I am ready to go share this with other people. And we take up the shield of faith. What faith? Faith in everything that I just said, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that He gave His life for us and that He's with us. He'll never leave us, He'll never forsake us. It is Him that we'll we, hold on to. We take up this salvation, this shield of faith. And then we adorn our heads with this salvation, this truth of who Jesus is and what He has done. We we proclaim it boldly and we put it on. So what are we putting on? We're putting on salvation. It's the helmet of the gospel. It's the helmet of salvation. And then what? We take the truths about the salvation from Genesis to Revelation that all point to Jesus Christ and we remind our hearts and our minds of these things. And when needed, we remind the enemy and we remind him well for we quote the word of God for what it is. That's where we'll start next week with the understanding that the last piece of this arsenal which is next week, is the fuel that makes it all work so well. Praying at all times for all people, for all the saints. And then Paul says, and pray for me that I would proclaim it boldly as I should, because what I am proclaiming is none other than the gospel from the word of God. One armor, but it's the armor of salvation. I have found myself over the past month or so putting on each one of these pieces over and over and over. And I think that would be good for us as a church to begin doing so as well. Fueled by the power of prayer, we take up the full armor of God that we can withstand every scheme of the enemy. Let's just take the truths, the reminders that we've heard from the word of God, let them sink in as we're thinking about, do I wear the helmet of salvation? Would people be surprised to know that I'm a Jesus follower? Am I wearing it boldly? Do I really believe that the Bible is the word of God? And if so, do I treat it as such? Jesus has a different message for each of us individually and maybe a collective message for all of us. I don't know. Let's just be still before him, and then we'll talk about it. Let's pray.